I spent four years doing research and finishing my prerequisites. I was also developing progressively worse gender dysphoria. I mean, it had been something that had been with me for a while in hindsight. You know, a lot of the time people can be in denial about it for many years or just not quite realize that that's something going on in their lives. And and I was in hardcore denial about it for most of my childhood and young adulthood, pretty much all through college, because it seemed very dangerous in many ways. Towards the end of my uh, college career, when I graduated, moved back home, got a research job, I sort of came to a point where I was barely functioning and um, needed to do something about that if I was going to have any chance of meeting my own goals or having a future worth caring about. I transitioned and I I did this while um, applying to medical school, more or less in secret. That aspect of my background has really affected what I know about medicine and practice and how I think about interacting with other people, about dealing with other people's needs. And, And over the last decade and a half or so, what started to become really clear to me is that what I value in medicine is the chance to, to listen to people and, and understand their problems and really work to fulfill their needs and um, help them with their goals, uh, which is just truly enjoyable for me. It's something that I first experienced as an HIV test counselor at Glide. Glide is a nurse practitioner-run clinic in the Tenderloin in San Francisco that provides services mostly to homeless people, sex workers, a large portion of the San Francisco trans population, people who are marginalized in multiple ways and and don't have a lot of options and tend to have a lot of different problems in their life that they aren't getting enough help with. So the HIV test counseling program was not just a HIV test. It, It was built into a counseling session where you could try and hook people up with services. You could... Um, just talk to them about problems in their lives. And and that was really my first exposure to uh, the clinical interaction, the clinical interview. And it was just a really positive and influential one. One of the things about being trans that has strongly affected my perspective towards medicine is really just how much abuse people like me suffer in medical environments and how much neglect there is of our medical needs. In many ways, I was unbelievably lucky. I had a supportive family. I had a job at a, quote, inclusive employer that, at least on paper, had insurance benefits that would provide for me. Even then, I didn't feel safe being open about my medical care, my situation to employers. It was something that I had to be extremely strategic about in terms of what I said and when. And when it came time to actually seek medical care and start using my insurance benefits, even in a state where we had a law in the books in 2006 saying that discriminating against trans people by arbitrarily limiting or um, excluding coverage of our care is illegal, I ran into a lot of trouble, a lot of dishonesty, a lot of employees and HR people who were not educated on the basic issues and were not really interested in changing that. So I had this explanation of benefits on my insurance plan that covered what I needed, but the sort of implied coverage was cherry-picked list of 
what Anthem had decided they would pay for. I ended up getting a facial reconstruction procedure that I spent five months working on. I had to pay for it out of pocket. I was very lucky to be able to do that and to have money that my grandfather had set aside to pay for my tuition because I'd been promised coverage of that. And two weeks before the surgery, they changed their mind after telling me and my doctor that they'd cover the um, charges. I spent about, let's see, the last 18 months fighting that, and I'm finally getting some money back. That's sort of the best-case scenario for many trans women in the country right now is having that sort of upper-middle-class support and access, and even then, it is so far from easy. For most trans people, I would say there is no insurance coverage, certainly not an inclusive insurance coverage or health coverage. Medicaid in most states is pretty exclusive of this kind of coverage as well. And all of this adds up to a lot of isolation and a lot of fear around medical interactions. And, and I want to be clear, that's not a cohort effect. That's a really justified fear. You know, I can't show up at school without thinking about people like Tyra Hunter, who was left to die by ENTs in the 90s after they showed up to help her at a car accident scene and discovered that she was trans. Or a, a friend of a friend of mine who was in the ER and um, her care team discovered that she was trans and tortured her by ripping out an inflated foley. That really drives me a lot in what I do in medicine because it's not a problem that's specific to trans people. All kinds of people who are vulnerable in our society have experiences like this. One of the things that I've started to get more serious about is both improving services and awareness around my community and maybe trying to find a career specialty where I'll be able to provide charitable services of some kind. So I've started thinking more and more seriously about doing facial reconstructive surgery myself, which is pretty ambitious, but uh, it would be an honor if I could make it. One way or another, I'm going to do fine after everything I've been through and dealt with. And my priority is to find a career that I can live with, that I will enjoy and find meaning in and won't be too discouraged by the, the mechanisms of this system that I'm being trained to wield authority and power in. That frightens and worries me a lot is existing as an authority within a system that I think really needs to be radically remade in so many ways. When I did start coming out to people, um, I was really impressed. I feel like I ended up at a, an amazing school. The faculty and students are very bright people. They're very excited about helping people, and they, they've demonstrated an ability to listen and to accept that, you know, people might have strong feelings that they could find threatening in some circumstances or confusing without retaliating in a way that I'd come to be very apprehensive of. I currently run our LGBT organization or, or co-president it, and I've done um, a few public speaking engagements, including a uh, all-class mandatory presentation for the first years this year. So I gave a quick Q&A to about 140 people it went really well. People were extremely appreciative. Really the most crucial thing that happened was last year, as I was just starting to come out to people and try and like see how I could use my somewhat distinct status as a student to change things and, and do something valuable, there was this one lecture in the uh, genitourinary block last year, a curriculum organized by organ systems, and they had this, this emeritus biology professor who 
didn't mean anything by this, but she gave this hour-long talk on biosynthesis of sex hormones and disordered sexual development, and it was just really tone-deaf, trivializing catty stuff. It wasn't even about trans people, per se. It was mostly about intersex conditions, and I just sitting there um, in that position that I had to walk out, and I was really expecting to have alienated my classmates by being so upset by this. I got a lot of support. The, the entire class uh, signed a letter alongside mine reporting the incident. As a result, we've sort of been given, we meaning myself and um, other people in this organization that are working with me, have been given extensive reign to add modules to the physicianship curriculum, to adjust things like that and try and improve the discussion of these issues. I met one other trans woman in med school so far um, since I came here, and she seems to have had a, a very different experience, a, a much more difficult one. When I first applied, I remember I'd gone to this health conference in San Francisco, you know, where I worked, and I just happened to find a seminar with trans health workers because UCSF at the time had two trans women as medical students out of, I think at the time it was about four in the country. And I was able to ask them about their application process and, and how they survived that because at the time I, I actually had to ask if people like me were allowed to become doctors and receive medical training. The, the only person in medicine like me who I knew before that is a, a friend of mine who's a surgeon in Ireland. That's That's not much of a sample size. And so one of these women had applied openly to 20 schools. She'd gotten interviews at two. And she'd had harassing phone calls from several different admissions departments asking what she thought she was doing applying to medical school, you know, what her deal was. So that was that was pretty chilling. And as a result, you know, I essentially had to apply to medical school and drag. I'm still trying to work out what to tell people who ask me now about applying to medical school as a trans person, you know, what advice to give because I don't, want to tell them anything that will put their prospects or their safety at risk. But I also know that where I go now would be probably a very safe and inclusive place. There's some real tension, I think, in medicine between this obsessive constant need for efficiency, for productivity, for people we invest time in to yield results and, and you know, be competent, and the desire to get over certain stereotypes and misconceptions about a variety of different things, including mental illness, including um, disability. I think there's there's also this real practical problem where going through puberty is not a convenient thing to do as an adult. Um, even under the best of circumstances, my plan was to apply and then defer a year, and that's a very acceptable thing to do these days, but it represents yet another logistical hurdle. That's already the kind of thing that in in academic circles can really limit people and interrupt their careers is just having a medical situation, having personal needs. The interplay between this this possibility of completely irrational, hostile discrimination and then all the subtle stuff that anyone whose life is inconvenient to the, the wheels of the system runs into has been that was that was a particularly difficult aspect. One of the things that's really impressed me has been, and this is just a huge relief as essentially as a, a minority in a professional setting, is realizing that many of the people I interact with and go to school with 
have things to teach me. They can come up with their own good ideas. It's not sort of all on me in the way that it can seem when you're isolated. Learning to be able to put faith in my peers and find things to learn from in all of them has been really a wonderful experience. 